stands up and preaches. Um, we just had this sense of um, discernment uh, that we wanted to um, have a time, uh, a short time, uh, for a very specific prayer. Um, with the military activity that took place uh, this week, um, we thought this might be an appropriate time uh, to be very specific about staying centered in Christ. Um, and so I just basically want to make that prayer. I uh, am not mistaking this for a Miss America pageant that, you know, the person is praying for world peace. <laughs> that, I don't think that's me. <laughs> uh, however, I think that staying centered on Christ, making sure that we're diligent to stay focused on him, I think is really an imperative at this point. So uh, I would like to just lead us in a short prayer. So Father God, um, in the events that unfolded this week in Iran, um, Lord God, I just, uh, I just want to uh, be all the more diligent, Lord God, that we are staying focused on you, Lord God, that we're hearing your voice, that we're watching for your lead. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would just rain down on us, Lord God. Lord, this isn't about uh, taking a position or having a side. This isn't about, um, uh, you know, a, a, a nationalism um, this is this is about being kingdom kids, and for the children of the Father to look to the Father, to lead us and to guide us. Uh, Father, I do pray um, for your peace. I pray for your hope. I pray for your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, Lord God. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see your perfect will in this time. And Lord, we do pray for so many people um, that are already being impacted, um, for their families, for their circumstances, for their situation. Lord God, we just, we just want to hear you in this time as we just give it to you in all of our trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the 20s. We were talking about last week. Somebody, it was just by a show of hands, and you don't have to if you don't want to, but who is here for the first set of 20s? Anybody? <laughs> just kidding. You know, there's some, you know, there could be. There could be somebody here. Al might have been. He's probably the closest, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I'm actually, I, I have a great sense of anticipation for this coming year. I don't know. I, I so I'm going to go out maybe on a little bit of a, of a limb here. Um, in a, in a prophetic sense, in a sense of the spirit, 
Um, it's not just because it's a new year, because everybody always talks about it being a new year and gives a new year message. I'm not doing that today. But, I mean, that's kind of the thing, right, in churches and other places is, you know, it's this new year, new you, you know, this whole thing. I really sense from the Lord that there is going to be some significant change spiritually this year. Um, that there is a shift that is happening where God is beginning the process of drawing people to him, of um, calling people up and calling people out, um, and um, kind of drawing men and women to him and commissioning them to advance God's kingdom. I just, I just, it's something I just really sense. I just, I've been kind of feeling that a little bit in the background for a little while. And um, more and more recently, I have just felt a, um, just an increase of his Holy Spirit and, and kind of a move of God that is coming. And I don't know if you guys remember, somebody reminded me of this Wednesday, um, before we went to the national conference, God gave me this word. Um, and it was this—it was a vision. It was a picture of the ocean, and this beach um, was emptied of water, and this beach was emptied of people, and it was just this like this bare beach. And I, God was showing me this picture, and I was kind of dialoguing with the Lord. I'm like, God, this is kind of a lame beach. Like, there's no water. That's like a desert, right? A beach without water is a desert. <clears throat> well, you know what's the purpose of this? Where's the people? Where's the water? And then um, I felt the Spirit of the Lord tell me to look out further. And so I looked out further. And this was in June, I think, that, that God showed me this picture. I think it was in June. And so God said, look out further. And I looked way out. And way out was this huge wave that was building. And if you know anything about waves and about large waves and tsunamis and, you know, kind of how these large waves build, they, like, build way out. When, when the water is building a giant wave, it pulls all the water that's near up into it as it builds. And as it builds, it gets larger and stronger. And then when that thing hits, it's power. When that thing hits, it creates chaos to a certain extent. When that thing hits, everything changes because like it changes the whole landscape of the beach. If there's people there, it affects them. And we're in that stage, we're in that period right now where stuff's getting pulled away and stuff's getting pulled up and things look um, desolate and empty. And like I said, this was like six months ago that God first kind of showed me this and that this process was happening, this process of this, the water being pulled up into that wave. And God's being very intentional about it. and He's doing that on purpose. And I feel like there's this thing out there that's just kind of building. And we're just in that building stage right now. And so it looks like the beach is kind of empty. And you're kind of like, you know, where's the people who normally hang out there? I mean, who wants to hang out on a beach with no water, right? Um, but if we look out further, and that's kind of what, you know, listening to the voice of the Father, right? Jesus often talked about when, when I'm killed, right? And the disciples were like, Lord, no! <laughs> You know, we don't want that to happen. Lord, no. But he knew what was coming, right? The Spirit of the Lord can show us what's ahead. He can show us kind of what's coming. 
so that we can prepare ourselves. And so for this year, in the beginning, this is the first service of this coming year, um, I want to encourage everyone to begin to prepare your hearts, to begin to prepare your spirits, to do um, engage in spiritual practices, prayer, reading the Word, getting with other believers and, and supporting one another, and like start engaging in those fundamental spiritual practices that will create a, a strength and a core in you. Has, has anybody here done weight training before? A few people done weight training. If you've done any kind of significant weight training, you know that like if your core is weak, like it hurts, right? It's painful if your core is not solid. Because like if you know if all you ever do is arm day or leg day, like and your core is weak, like you can't properly lift weights with your arms if your core is weak. And it's the same way with our faith. If our core is not strong, we can't do the things that God wants us to do and do those extended feats of strength that God wants us to do if your core is not strong. And so my encouragement to you starting off this year is do those core spiritual exercises of of getting in your word, of being in prayer, hanging out with other believers who can strengthen you and encourage you so that when that time comes, when this wave is finally starting to fall, when, when this move of God hits, that you're ready for it. It's just, it's a preparation thing. You don't just go run the New York Marathon, right? You have to condition, you have to train, you have to get yourself together. And so I'm just, you know, um, I'm having a coach moment here. As your coach, as your spiritual coach, um, my encouragement to you is get strong. Work on your core. Um, Prepare yourself for what's coming because I really do sense that God is going to be doing some significant change um, in our body this coming year and in us individually as well. But we have to prepare ourselves so that we're ready. So I'm going to kind of pray into that for a moment real quick, and then we'll get hump into the message here. So Lord God, would you give us your discipline? Lord, that discipline uh, that makes us strong, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and yes, even physically, God. So that all that we are, the completeness of who we are, is ready and prepared for your kingdom move. For God, what you're going to be doing in our body and in the greater church. Um, Lord, I, I just, um, Lord, I can't get rid of the sense that you're, that, that there is a new move of God that is coming. And we have to, if we want to be part of it, we have to be ready for it. Um, so Lord, um, Teach us to risk, teach us to train, teach us to put ourselves out there, teach us to um, do new things and engage with you in ways that we've never done before. Lord, would you increase our faith? Lord, your word says that faith is a gift from God. Lord, can you increase our faith? Lord, would you do that for us? Holy Spirit, would you right now even as we're here in this moment, God, would you increase our faith for what is going to come? Would you allow us 
and show us and guide us into holding on to the promises that you give us, God. That we could truly own that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. That you are good. That you have good things for us. That you care for us. And while life might not be all roses and unicorns, that you're right there alongside us. And you care for us. And you are for us. And Lord, your word says that if you are for us, who can be against us? So Lord, we hold on to that promise, Jesus. Amen. Um, so we are, we're kind of in this, I mentioned last week, we're in this three-year track of going through the entirety of the Gospel of John. And we have now landed in John 7 as we're making our way through this. Um, these passages are after Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. And um, it's the time of one of the great Jewish festivals, the Festival of Tabernacles. And Jesus is talking with his family and his disciples about this. So let's kind of jump in here. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go around in Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. Makes sense. You don't really typically want to hang out in places where people want to kill you until it's your time. At some point, he did just that because then it was his time. But this was not yet. So when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. Jesus responded, No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. And so in researching this, Jesus was speaking specifically to something. The Jewish leaders were looking to kill Jesus because he was starting to erode their power and their authority. If you remember prior to this, he healed a man on the Sabbath, no less. And because of that miracle, Jews were hailing him as a prophet. And this threatened the Jewish power structure, which is part of why they wanted to kill him. Jesus was going against their current religious system, which was simply set up to further their power. He was calling out the way that they were pursuing God was in a corrupt and in a worldly manner. As you might imagine, they didn't care for that very much, that Jesus was calling them out and saying, you know, you're pursuing God and encouraging others to pursue God, but the manner in which they were going about it was to hold on to and retain their power and their authority. And Jesus and the miracles he was doing was starting to undermine that. And the fact that somebody like did a miracle on the Sabbath was a direct challenge to their power because of how they held the Sabbath. Let's continue on. You go to the festival. Jesus is telling them this. You go. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, 
I love this bit. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm going, but I'm going on the DL. Like, nobody's going to know about it. This is going to be, my time's not yet come. You want me to go and do a bunch of miracles and tell everybody, hey, look, it's Jesus. And Jesus is like, it's not time for that yet. So he went in on the DL. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also. Not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and saying, where is he? He knew that they were out to kill him. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. See, they, they knew something was up. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Have you ever been a part of a church or at a job or in a group where you had to filter everything you said for fear of being judged? Me too. Me too. See, in this previous verse, they all had thoughts about Jesus. But the Jewish leaders didn't want anybody to talk about Jesus. They didn't want anybody to think about or know what he was doing because they knew the more that they talked about Jesus, the more popular he would become. Because he was doing miracles. The Jewish religious leaders were not healing people, but Jesus was. And so, like, the people reasonably are like, well, I... I want to hang out with the guy who heals people. <laughs> not, not, not the guy who tells me not to, like, you know, eat a light, flip a light switch on the Sabbath or something. You know, just, like, I, I, I want to know this guy. My encouragement to us out of this text is this. Let's not be that kind of community. Let's allow space for each other to walk out our faith and draw closer to Jesus without fear of reprisal. See, like, they wouldn't even talk about that Jesus was good. Or bad. They were so afraid of, their, of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming down on them. Like, and then, at that point, just like Jesus, like, they went around killing people. I think under threat of death, it's a reasonable fear to keep your mouth shut. Right? I don't know. I mean, there... Has anybody ever read the book Fox's Book of Martyrs? A couple of people you have. In that book, there is instance after instance after instance of being put to gunpoint, to spear point, to knife point, poisoning, all different kinds of torture in that book, that they would renounce their faith in Jesus. Like all they had to do was renounce their faith in Jesus and their lives would be spared. And they wouldn't do it. Because Jesus was more important to them than their own life. And over and over and over, you read that in that book. See, this was before anybody really knew all who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah. And so their fear of the religious structure of the day which was so strong and so powerful that they would kill people who went against them, won out for the common Jew at that time. 
I, I have this, this is kind of off, off the scripture, so I, wanna, I, wanna, I always want to preface that if I'm saying something like I'm kind of reading into the scripture here, like kind of what's happening. So I want to preface it with that. I'm kind of reading into the scripture here what's happening. Um, I think part of why Jesus came in secret was maybe to protect some of those who thought that he was a good man. Because if they started supporting him at this point, who knows what could have happened to those people, like to his disciples, to his brothers. Um, Because they were out to kill Jesus. And if there were others who said, but I'm with Jesus, they probably would have killed them too. And I, I wonder, again, this is dusty wondering, okay? So I'm prefacing with that. This is dusty wondering. Um, I wonder if part of Jesus going in secret was to spare them. It's just a thought. Um, You know, kind of on this topic, if there's ever something like on a Sunday morning where I'm talking about it or you have questions about it or you're struggling with something I said, um, I just want to throw out there that you, everyone here who's within the sound of my voice here, has the absolute right to text me, call me, contact me, and schedule an appointment with me or coffee with me or something and say, hey, you said this on Sunday morning and I'm kind of wrestling with it. Could we talk about it? I'm open to that. And I'm super hard to offend and upset. So I want to throw that out there too. Like you can be like really wrestling with something that I said on Sunday morning and it's okay. All right? It's like totally okay. Like, you know, we should be, as people who teach the word, right, able to communicate that outside of just me throwing it at you on Sunday morning and then dropping it and running. Like, you know, here's the hand grenade, toss it and run, right? Like, I should be able to have a dialogue with you about it afterwards. So I just want you to know that if if there's ever a point where any of you, like, need to kind of discuss something that I talked about on Sunday morning that was challenging to you or really, not that I shouldn't challenge you. You should be challenged on Sunday morning. The Word of God should challenge us. The Spirit of God should challenge us. It should not let us just be comfortable. So I don't mean that kind of thing. I mean like, you know, a a point of theology or something that you're wrestling with. Um, Just as a general practice, please know that I'm I'm open and available to that. Um, We don't want to be, well, like this says, Let's not be the kind of community where we fear reprisal or where we fear being attacked because you might come at it from a different way than I do. I want to be that people. Continuing on, verses 14. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught. See, they knew this guy wasn't under any of the prior teachers. There were no, he, he wasn't like in the rabbi crew that was going around this area. So they're like, how did he know this? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Jesus played the trump card. <laughs> like, these aren't my words. These are the words of God. <laughs> Deal with that. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God, it continues in verse 17, will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. 
There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? And yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? He's like, you're trying to kill me for the same stuff that you do. Like, you do this, and you're trying to kill me. I love this. Here again, Jesus over and over. If there's a thread through the kingdom life and ministry of Jesus, through Jesus' life here on the earth, it's this. That he came to bring the kingdom of God to earth. That he came to preach God's kingdom. That now and that not yet. That God's kingdom is here and yet is still coming. Like we're not perfected here, right? We have sickness. We have disease. We talked about war. You know, military actions, people dying. Like, the world's obviously, we look around and the world's not perfect, right? It's just not. When, when Jesus comes in fullness, when we have a new heaven and a new earth, there will be no more war. We won't ever have to pray about that anymore. You know, God spare, you know, spare people's lives. Um, you know, both our military and folks over there. Like, we don't want anybody to die, like, kind of, here at the end. We just we don't want people to die. We don't want pain and torture and agony and death and sickness and um, emotional trauma and you know just the worst of humanity that exists right now, right? Obviously, Jesus came, and yet the world is not perfected yet, right? Because we still have all this brokenness around us. That's part of why we have to be busy in bringing God's kingdom to bear wherever we are. Um, but Jesus always goes back to two things. I'm here to bring God's kingdom, and I only do that which I see the Father doing. And I feel like we have to use that as our own roadmap, as a follower of Christ. Always being brought, bringing God's kingdom to bear in whatever situation we're in, whether it's at home or with our family or with our friends or it's at our job are at the grocery store, we should actively be bringing the kingdom of God with us, just like Jesus did. No matter where he was, when he went to have a drink of water, he wasn't just having a drink of water, he was bringing God's kingdom, right? When he went to go have a meal, he wasn't just having a meal, he went to bring God's kingdom. He was always having this kingdom perspective, and he did what it is the Father said to do. So they were amazed at what Jesus was saying here. He told them it was coming from God. Jesus encourages us to always lift up God and not seek our own glory. It's that darn humility thing again that we talked about last month, right? Like, don't seek your own glory. Instead, give glory to God. There has been many a person purporting to speak for God. But they often draw attention to themselves instead of Jesus. And our attention should be on Jesus. Preach Christ and Him crucified. It, it should never be dusty in big letters on the side of the building, right? If anything, it should be Jesus in big letters on the side of the building, right? It shouldn't ever be, you know, name your favorite pastor or name your favorite prophet or name your favorite person who says that they, you know, they speak for God. It should never be their name emblazoned on the side of anything or on a billboard saying, hey, it's me, come listen to me. 
right? It's not about us. It should be about Jesus Christ. Even Jesus, who was God, always directed everybody to the Father. And he was God. And he was still always directing people to the Father. Like, if anybody could have, like, you know, I mentioned this over Christmas time, like, had an amazing business card to hand out to everybody to say how awesome they were, it was Jesus. You know, the man who healed the leper, the man who, you know, cured the centurion's son, the man who, you know, like, he could just keep going on and on, you know, fed 5,000, you know, like, here, take my business card, look at all the things I did, you know. And, but that wasn't who he was. He said, the Father directs me to do this, so I do that. Um, so just an encouragement to you from one person who's a Christian leader about other Christian leaders. Make sure they're always pointing you to Jesus. That's important. That's important. Like, run away if they don't. <laughs> I give you permission. Run away. Run away. In the words of one Admiral Akbar, it is a trap to believe that anyone who doesn't direct you to Jesus is speaking for God. Continuing on. You're demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, well, actually, it didn't come from Moses, but the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? And then I love this. Jesus says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. See, Jesus is like, I did this on the Sabbath. He owns that. And he points to the Jewish leaders, he points out their hypocrisy. They're like, you do circumcision on the Sabbath. See, part of what they were going after Jesus, their, um, their legal standing for while they were going after Jesus is because Jesus healed this man. He performed a medical procedure, and you're not supposed to perform a medical procedure on the Sabbath. Now, in case you don't know what circumcision is, circumcision is the removal of the foreskin of a man's penis. That's what circumcision is. Um, is there any way in which that's not a medical procedure? And yet they did that on the Sabbath. And so Jesus is like, what? Like, you're attacking me for the very thing you do. Anybody else ever had that happen? Like, you get attacked by somebody for the same thing that they do? Yeah, we, we kind of do that, don't we? So Jesus here, he's, he's calling out something that we still wrestle with today. The Jewish religious leaders were perfectly willing to tweak 
or make allowances for doing things on the Sabbath, circumcision, if it suited their needs. However, as soon as someone else, being Jesus, did something that went against their law, they wanted to throw the book at him to the point of trying to kill him. It's unfair, right? It's unfair. One of the biggest struggles we as people of faith will always deal with is hypocrisy. We, because we're human, struggle with our own thoughts, desires, preferences, and predilections. We're often perfectly okay with calling out a sin that we don't like in someone else while being perfectly content to ignore or even embrace a sin that we happen to personally enjoy. I've done it. I've done it. I can stand here in front of all of you and admit that I've done that. Because there's things in my life, certain ways of being or sin that I might enjoy, and I know they're sin, and I sometimes do them anyway, but it's not so hard for me to see something that somebody else is doing and, like, nail them on it. Somehow that's easy <laughs> for me. It should be, but it is. And that's what Jesus was calling out here with the religious leaders. He's like, okay, set the stage. We're discussing Sabbath. What happens on a Sabbath? What can you do and not do on a Sabbath? Okay, you can't do a medical procedure on the Sabbath. Good. All agreed? Okay, all agreed. Circumcision, circumcision, you know, doing the little thing, circumcising the babies. Because see, when you're circumcised, then you're part, then you're now a Jew. And so they're increasing their base of people who believe in their religious system by doing circumcisions. So that was good for them, because they're increasing their base of believers. Then Jesus comes, and he heals somebody on the Sabbath. They call it a medical procedure, because that's against their law. Because if he does a medical procedure on the Sabbath, they have a right to kill him. And they don't like him, because he's taking away their power. So they don't like Jesus, because he's starting to get a name for himself, and he's healing, and people are starting to listen to him. That's not good for them. In any way, shape, or form, that's not good for them. And that's where this hypocrisy comes in. Because they're both on the Sabbath, they're both talking about medical procedures, and they're both approaching it from a different place. And it's hypocrisy. It's clear hypocrisy, right? Let us, as followers of Jesus, take this as a warning. Just have it in your head. Am I being a hypocrite? Am I judging someone for something that it's not my, that's not my role? I'm not saying that there's not sin, because there is. I'm not saying that the Bible's not clear on what is and is not sin. It's pretty clear most of the time. There's some things, and I've mentioned before, in my own past, I was just I was having a conversation with a friend this last week. Um, you know, when I was younger, I because I was the son of an alcoholic who was the son of an alcoholic, you know, I was like third or fourth generation alcoholic. Um, I I never got drunk, I never drank until I was 
you know, finally passed a certain stage in my life. I think I was 25 or something. Um, and I judged anybody who did that they were not a follower of Jesus. Like, you cannot have a beer and be a follower of Jesus. Like, there's just no way. Because the Bible's very clear about drinking being sick to me, in my head, at that time. And um, then, like, I did an in-depth study of the wedding at Cana. <laughs> it destroyed my theology. It, like, like... Like, because I was growing up, I, I grew up Pentecostal, uh, Catholic and then Pentecostal. We were told it was just grape juice, like maybe strong grape juice. But that's what we were told. And when I started researching it on my own, which, by the way, caveat, I hope you guys always research and read for yourself what I'm talking about on a Sunday morning. I encourage that. Please go read it for yourself. Please, please do that. Do your study, do research, make sure that what I'm saying is, is you know, is solid, is orthodox. Um, but continuing on with that, at that point in my life, I was 100% convinced that if you drank, you couldn't be a Christian. I don't believe that anymore. And... I judged people harshly. Part of it was my own brokenness, right? Dad was an alcoholic. He was kind of mean sometimes when he got drunk. Kind of, he didn't ever physically abuse me other than like a strong grab that maybe, you know, left a bruise or something. But it wasn't like, any, you know, it wasn't significant harm. Um, but I, I saw how he was different when he was drunk. And that informed my theology. So part of that belief system, it, you know, my, my Pentecostal tribe was feeding into something that already had an area of brokenness in me. Like I was already halfway there. They just had to like say, hey, it's this. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. So now, now God agrees with my, what I mentioned before, my already thought that I have, my predilection and predisposition towards this anyway. And now they're encouraging that. And so, hey, that's, that's great. Now it's not just you suck because you drink. Now it's you suck because you drink because God said. That's where I was at. <laughs> and like, you know, I, I've thought about doing like, you know, I have a lot of friends who have been through recovery in AA and, and God bless that program. Um, I've often thought that I need to go at it from the other side. I need to go around and make amends for being a Christian who judged them. <laughs> and like make some amends. <laughs> like, I, in 1991, on June 15th, told you this, and I believed it, and I was wrong, and I need to apologize. <laughs> it's like, I, you know, that like probably takes some of my life. <laughs> Just going around and making all that right. Because uh, I wasn't shy about it about what I thought and felt at that point. So just my encouragement to you is don't be like Dusty. <laughs> don't be a hypocrite. <laughs> don't do it. Grow. Let Jesus change you. Let Scripture inform you. Let the Word of God, let, let God's truth and let God's Spirit and let the life of Jesus um, let that be your anchor point. Let that be the filter through which you see other people.
Um, continuing on. Oops. So Jesus says in verse 20 through 22, Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, and instead judge correctly. So there's this thing here, and, and again, I can admit to being guilty of this, where we just, you know, there's a, there's a saying, it's a common saying, right? Don't judge a book by its cover. Um, I, I have met people um, who uh, are homeless, sleeping on the streets, um, who have more than one master's degree. But because of what happened in their life, whether it, um, for some, for one man in particular, I remember we were actually having a, a men's breakfast here. We were having it downstairs when we used to have them downstairs off the side, and he came in, and him and two buddies came in, and they just they came off the street and joined us for breakfast, which is awesome. Uh, and so I was having a conversation with this guy, and he was he, like. He just didn't have some of the norm. We didn't have a normal conversation that I sometimes have um, with with folks. Um, like he was just he like had a lot of knowledge, and it turned out like <clears throat> we were discussing history, and he like had all these facts and information and dates just like ready off the top of his head. And we were talking about the Civil War, and he. He like mentioned, you know, the battle at Gettysburg and gave dates and he gave locations and and like he just had all this information in his head. And I'm sitting here across from this homeless man, and I'm like, this dude's way smarter than I am. Like way smarter. And then as we're having this conversation, I find out that he has a master's degree in history and philosophy. Like he's a double master's. And he's living on the street. And what happened was he uh, lost his wife and kid in a car accident. And it sent him on this downward spiral of self-medicating. And he just never made it back. Like that was, he lost his house, lost his job, couldn't function anymore because he was self-medicating so much. And it would have been really easy to see him sleeping in a stairwell and judge that book by its cover. What's Jesus' encouragement to us? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. And when we're approaching people, like there were people who believed what the Pharisees were telling them, that Jesus was a bad man, because he healed on the Sabbath. And that was wrong. You're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath, even though it was a miracle. And so they were judging him as being sinful and being bad to the point where he needed to be killed. Because they were judging. So in appearance, Jesus broke that Sabbath law, right? Like he, he broke that letter of the law. He did something medically to someone on the Sabbath. So he did. So I guess this leaves us with a question. What kind of system do you want to live under? 
what kind of system do I want to live under? Because there's also these scriptures where it talks about that God will judge us in the way that we judge others. And, you know, so we kind of have that as a measure. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I need a lot of grace. Because <laughs> I know what my mind and my heart look like sometimes, and it's not pretty places. And I need a lot of mercy where I don't deserve it. I need it. I do. And, you know, that's where Jesus was at. He's like, you know, if you're going by the letter of the law, he broke it. Right? If you're going by the letter of the law, Jesus broke the Sabbath covenant. Because he healed on the Sabbath. He also touched unclean lepers. He also hung out with single women. Um, he broke lots of what were Jewish customs. Um, and it, it mentions here that actually like the, the whole like circumcision thing, um, that actually wasn't set up by Moses. It was set up by the Pharisees. See, a lot of these systems, they took the initial Ten Commandments and the laws that God gave them, and then they decided to... Uh, well, kind of like we did with our Constitution. Let's amend that. <laughs> you know, here's our basic Constitution, right? And, you know, I kind of feel this strongly about this, so let's amend that, and let's add this thing on. And, or like, you know, anytime anybody in um, Congress or the Senate goes to pass a bill anymore, there's all these writers and all these other things they add on, right? Um, and basically the religious leaders of the time were doing that to God's law. They're like, not only can you, do you have to keep the Sabbath holy, but you can't do X, Y, you know, they're like, you can't tie up an animal, you can't cook food, you can't heal, because healing was considered work, and you can't work on the Sabbath. And so if you're healing somebody, if you're doing a medical procedure, that's considered work. And so then you're working on the Sabbath and you're breaking God's law. Um, so Jesus did break the law as far as the letter of the law. But the heart of the law, the spirit of the law, that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, don't judge by mere appearances. Don't judge by mere appearances. There are people who are close to you, friends, family, coworkers, who they're serving Jesus the best way they know how. They're approaching Jesus the best way they know how. And it is our job. It is our responsibility to help them know Jesus as they're walking out with him. All of us, each one of us, are, as we walk out our faith, it's not going to look identical. Some of us are going to read the Bible more than others. Some of us are going to pray more than others. Some of us, God's going to make us stand up front and talk to other people. Um, some of us, we're going to like serve the poor. Some of us, you know, we all have different callings and giftings and abilities, and we all walk out our faith in a little bit different ways, right? Um, there was this old Christian comedian by the name of Mike Warnicky. 
um, that I used to listen to when I was growing up. I'm showing my age here. It's okay. Um, but he had this he had this bit about cookie cutter Christians. There was this bit that he did about cookie cutter Christians. And so if you're in the shape of a gingerbread man and you're not in the shape of a star, then you're the wrong kind of cookie. Because you need to be a ginger man shape, not a star shape. And we have so many denominations, right, in Christendom. My good friends across the street at St. Joe's. My friends down the street at First Baptist. You know, my friends out west at West Valley Nazarene. Um, you know, we, we're all approaching God in maybe a little bit different ways. Let us not judge by appearances. Let us not say that because you don't believe that God speaks to you, that you, we can't have unity, that we can't have fellowship, that we can't serve Jesus together. Let us not say that because you do the rosary or you do a little bit of Christian calisthenics on, during Mass on Sunday morning, that we can't be brothers and sisters in Christ and that we can't join together to advance God's kingdom. Let us not judge that because they approach faith a little bit differently. You know, I, I, growing up, I had a super good friend who was Seventh-day Adventist. His name was Gary, and I loved Gary. And Gary and I would get in these theological conversations because we had some different theology. But I knew without a shadow of a doubt that my buddy Gary, who was Seventh-day Adventist, loved Jesus. And my good friend Gary knew without a shadow of a doubt that Dusty loved Jesus. And we could be friends and have differences in how we thought that, you know, one of the big ones for us was, how's Jesus coming back? You know, is it pre-trib? Is it post-trib? Is it mid-trib? I've ended up being pan-trib. It all pans out in the end. Like, that's where I've landed. I'm pan-trib. God knows I don't, and I'm not him. The end. Like, but, you know, it's just like we, but we would have these big discussions about this stuff. But I didn't judge him. I didn't say that he didn't know Jesus just because, like, his view of whether there's a rapture or not is different than mine. Like, who really cares? Like, you know, if we have a difference in theology, can we still serve Jesus together? Can, can we get past those differences and join together to bring God's kingdom to bear to heal a broken and hurting world? And I say yes. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. I'll say that one more time. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. My friend Gary can have a difference in theology than me, and we can both serve Jesus, and we can advance the kingdom of God together. And we don't have to have uniformity in our beliefs to do that. But we can be unified in Christ. Now, when it comes to an issue of salvation, like if somebody believes that Jesus is Satan's brother. That's different. That's questioning the divinity of Jesus. That's not the same thing as us having a different view of the rapture, right? So, I mean, to a certain extent, I'm asking you to use your brains. I know. 
some people like me, it's more of a challenge than others. Some of you have much better brains than I do. But if it's an issue of salvation, like the divinity of Christ, is Christ divine? Yes, Jesus is divine. That's a salvation issue to me, because if Jesus wasn't God, then he couldn't have been... He couldn't have died for my sins. That's like a big deal. <laughs> That's not just a disagreement of theology, right? That's a big deal. So on that kind of thing, I, you know, that's a part where we don't have unity or uniformity. Right? Because that's a basic. So part of what I wanted to encourage you and leave you with this morning is know what you know and why you know it. Um, just because you heard one time, or Dusty said it up front, or you listened to some guy on a podcast, and he said this thing that you thought was really cool, you should study the Bible, you should pray, you should dig in, you should research and know why it is you believe what you believe, so that it stands the test. Because there's going to be times and places where what you believe is tested. And if you're not, like I was talking about the core earlier, I'm looping back around to that. If your core is not strong, you'll crumble. If your core is not strong, you will not have the strength to do all that it is God's calling you to do. So, I, like I said, looping back around to where I started, work on your core this year. Work on your core who it is God says you are. I'm going to pray real quick, and then um, can I get uh, some folks for prayer ministry to come forward, please, if you would? Pray for some people. <coughs> oh, God, I'm sorry, Ryan. I, Nor